time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Thrivology Podcast, the podcast that I've designed to help you thrive no matter what life is throwing your way. And boy, life is throwing stuff our way these days, isn't it? I was talking with someone just the other day, and they said, you know, I just don't think you can thrive these days. And my point about thriving is we can always thrive. There are always places for us to thrive as long as we understand what that's about. Because sometimes we think thriving is like easy street when everything's going our way. But the real sign of you thriving is how you do take on the challenges of our life. And while they keep piling up, I mean, this is, as I recorded, just a couple of days before inauguration in the United States so that a new administration starts. And even that statement I just said is of controversy in our country right now and in some places in the world right now. And, and so now, as I'm also recording this at this moment, this day is the one year anniversary since the first case of COVID showed up within the United States. So obviously earlier than that, it was other places in the world and, you know, primarily in China at that point. So we're now a year into that process. So in the midst of all this, the calamities that pile up, all of these things coming up, we have this sense of dread that's come upon us. I mean, just think about this. In this past year, we've had the pandemic that has now claimed probably somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million or half a billion lives in the U.S. And that's looking at the excessive deaths this year compared to what would have been expected. There are about a half a million. So that's beyond the official count, but probably closer to what's actually happened. If we look in the world, we're at somewhere around 24 million people. It's hard to even get our minds around that. And yet every day we get up and have our minds around that. So we've had the pandemic in this past year. We've had the economic issues that have come from that and some other factors, but primarily that. So the economic issues that are affecting many, many people who are trying to figure out how to make ends meet. And all of that feels so, so hard on us. And then we have the political unrest that is running rampant in the United States, but also around the world as people try to figure out what this all is about, this new age that we're in. And of course, on top of that, we have the erratic leadership that's on all sides across the spectrum that helps to keep things feeling very unstable for us. So what does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for us in terms of thriving? Well, it means that we're always a little bit off balance, just a little bit thrown off. But You know, sometimes being off balance means that we have a chance to find our balance. One of the things I do, just just to kind of give you an idea of my life, I'm aware that as I grow older, (laughs) I'm going to have harder time with my balance just as, as part of life. And so I've got to protect that as much as I can. And so I do a lot of work to work on my balance. And how do you work on your balance? By doing things that cause you to find your balance, not by just sitting around hoping that everything's okay. And so I have a balance board that I get on every day and teeter-totter around and try to find my balance. 
There is a place on my morning walk that is uh, kind of the where the sidewalk edge goes around and it's raised up, and I can walk on that and try to keep my balance all the way around the, the circle of that walk. And I also do other things like slack lining and some other things just to try to work on my balance. Now, notice I'm choosing those moments, which is a little bit different. I get to choose when I'm going to work on balance. But I want to notice that all of the things I just named mean on a daily basis, we have a chance of trying to find our balance in the midst of these unbalancing things in life. That's where we work to find our ease again by working through our unease. And that really is what I want to talk about is how do you find some ease in the midst of the unease and the dis-ease that has come upon us. I mean, here we are with a disease running around the world that is making us at a point of dis-ease where we feel out of ease. So how can we find some ways back to that? I want to just kind of note, as I was going through that list of things, the pandemic, the economic issues, the political unrest, the erratic leadership, all of things that are hitting us every day, where the news is coming to us every day, it creates a sense of fear and a sense of dread. And when we're dealing with fear and dread, we tend to revert back to some survival mechanisms And some of those are actually in our control, and some of them are not. There's a term that's been used these days for looking through your feeds, uh, looking through the social media feeds. They call it doom scrolling. You know, it's kind of where we're now, where we used to be going to see what other people are doing or, or seeing what's going on around us. Now we're looking for the bad news, for the threats, for the early detection system to let us know you know, what's kind of coming our way. The doom scrolling, as they've called it, is us scrolling for more and more bad news. Now, there's a problem with that because when we're doom scrolling and we're looking at those stories about what's going on, (laughs) the algorithms learn that. And so they feed us more. I mean, that's the the irony of all this. I've I've heard many people talking about how they find themselves doom scrolling through And in the place of all of that doom scrolling, all that's happening is it's multiplying the places where we're getting bad news. So I've been in the Internet world for now um, over 20 years, and I've watched the Internet as it's developed from, you know, pretty quirky little pages to where people even know exactly the sites that you're visiting and exactly how long you're spending on the sites and what stories you're reading. And they can even predict what you would want to do next or what they think you would want to do next. We have these algorithms that are in place that marketers use, that information companies use to try to deliver what they want. And they can do it so precisely that many times companies are advertising to an audience of one, two, five, ten people. There are companies that are basically using their efforts to lobby specific people that they've been able to narrow it down to. Like if they knew the address of somebody they wanted to target, they could even do it down to that little geographic area. And then if they used interests and gender and other issues that are known about you, they can follow it all the way down to that perhaps that single person. So that one person that they wanted to get the story in front of, They can often do it now. 
with the research that they have, with the knowledge that they have. And if that happens for that specific a person, imagine what that's happening for you. Every time you read a story about one of those things we talked about or read a little information that may be worrisome, what it does is it delivers the next layer of that. Because as we've learned over this past year also, many of the companies on the internet have one desire to keep your eyeballs as long as possible. This is particularly true with social media companies, but if you'll notice, you know, you might look at one ad and suddenly that ad shows up across every page, or maybe you even do a little research. You don't even see an ad, but you do a little research about something. You Maybe you're interested in something, and you look at that, and suddenly you're seeing ads for something related. I've had that experience just this past week. I had a question. Somebody asked me a question. I went to look up the facts about that, and suddenly I was getting ads that were related to that. And not just one or two, but I was being bombarded on websites that I visited, on social media platforms that I visited, on emails that I was receiving. They had me down because I did a little research. So imagine what happens when we're doom scrolling. We're finding a story. It appears that we read that story, so they think that means you need to see the next story, which may even take you down the rabbit hole a little further. The fact is that we now know this really is how people find themselves in the midst of a conspiracy theory they had no idea about. It starts out innocuously enough and pulls us further and further down the rabbit hole with further and further increasingly interesting ideas about that. And that's how we've gotten to the place where we're so fractured because the skill is there for companies to do that, but it's amoral. It has nothing to do with what makes sense to people because it's not being decided by people. It's being decided by algorithms. And so as we spiral down more and more, if we just look at it for the bad news, we're going down the bad news tunnel more and more often. So if you doom scroll, there will be an endless list of things that are happening poorly, things that are making us feel like they are threats to us. Two things happen simultaneously, just cognitively speaking. We as humans have a negative bias, first of all, and the second thing is we have a confirmation bias. We are biased thinkers. So our negative bias is that we are more aware and link in more tightly to negative news, negative information, which kind of makes sense because we are built on a survival mechanism in our brain. And so the survival mechanisms usually come from thinking bad news. In our ancient ancestors, it would have been far more important to think about the possibility of not having food than enjoying the bounty of all the food that's on the tree in front of you. You know, If you were able to think about what might happen when this goes away, you're in much better shape if you take some action than if you just go, wow, look at all these apples, I'll never have to worry. And so our negative bias means that we could watch 10 stories of good news and 10 people, 10 of our friends telling about great things happening in their life, but we'll key in on the one bad story. We'll key in on that one bad thing that somebody is saying. So our negativity bias means that we tie more tightly to the negative news. The second thing is confirmation bias. Once we believe that, then we go looking for evidence that supports that viewpoint and we tend not to notice the evidence against that viewpoint. 
So we have a self-confirming negative bias that we begin to fall into when we fall into this place and out of our place of ease. Part of what's going on here is that we have this system built into us that I mentioned, that ancient survival system. And that ancient survival system is based in our brain and, and a nerve that runs down our body, the polyvagal nerve system. It starts at the very core, very base of our brain. It's a very primitive part. And it's the part that goes through three possible phases. The first one is ease. That's where everything's kind of good. You know, you're hanging out, everything's going well, you're relaxed, you're having a good time. That's ease. The second one is a place of unease, where you think something might be going on. Something's got your attention. You're on alert. Alert doesn't mean that you're getting ready to fight, but you are sure aware that there might be something coming your way. Because the next one, the dis-ease, is actually when we drop into alarm. And that's where many of us are living on a constant basis these days, in the state of alarm. Which makes us feel like we're under threat, whether it's true or not. When we start watching the pictures and the scenes on TV, we instantly go from maybe maybe ease, but often these days, unease or alert, to dis-ease or alarm, and we're suddenly caught in a cycle of fight, flight, or freeze. That's, that's what that primitive part of our body does. Our polyvagal system is looking for that and is keeping our body primed to take on what's going on around us. I've talked about this in the past, so I'm not going to go too far into this idea, but we are wired for that fear response because we are much more likely to survive if we are working from a fear place rather than a calm place, if there is a threat. The problem is, as we talked about, we self-confirm and magnify the threats that we see around us. There's no time in ancient history when we would have been able to flip through and see things that were happening nowhere near us, but that make us feel at threat. I mean, that's kind of what's happening with us. We're so inundated with information. If I open up a newsfeed or even Facebook, I can see things that are happening all around the world. And if I'm naturally drawn to the negative pieces, and then I go and confirm those pieces, not missing some of the more intricate parts of that, it looks like the threat is right at my door, even if it's thousands of miles away. The threat feels very immediate, even if it's not. And that keeps us in a place of fight, flight, freeze more of the time than not. And that taxes our body. Over time, our body is not designed to be in that state. Our ancient ancestors would have really spent more of the time, you know, kind of either in sudden threat mode or being a little bit more relaxed because the threat is clear and in front of them. Imagine you're walking down the path and something jumps out in front of you. You have to deal with it. And you either take it on or get away, and you either do that successfully or not, and it's over, and our body returns to a natural state. But in our culture, when every time we open up our phone or tablet or computer, we see another bad story. We see more footage of something else. We see something else going on, and it sends our body right back into that phase. Remember, one of the things we've talked about in another podcast, your eyeballs 
and your ears are directly connected to that ancient pathway. They're directly connected to the most ancient place where it's looking for threats. And because of that, we're on a constant basis being delivered threats that throw us into a fight, flight, uh, freeze mode with no resolution to it. About the time you calm down, the next one pops up. So part of what we want to talk about today is how you get back to that place of ease. How can you take back control so that you're ready to deal with the situations when they arise rather than being in a preparatory state for something that never comes your way? How do you find calm in the chaos? How do you practice calm? So let me make a few suggestions. First of all, um, I think that in these days where everything is moving around, one of the things that we know from human behavior is that we are pretty good at habituating. That's a big word to mean we get used to things, but only when they become routine. That routine state is kind of of interest to me because we, we kind of find a way of living our life as long as whatever is going on around us is regular enough that we can kind of count on it. That's part of what's happened uh, so many times throughout this epidemic is, you know, when things are kind of at a, a, a flat place, we kind of get used to doing things within that. You know, I've used, I'm used now to grabbing my mask before I get out of the car, before I go into the store. I'm used to uh, putting uh, some uh, antiseptic on my hands when I leave somewhere. I'm used to contactless delivery and payments and all the other things that we've adapted to. I'm used to now doing Zoom for my work or doing so many other different things that at the beginning of the year felt very foreign. Now they feel very normal. They are our habits. So one of the things that happens for us is that when we drop into our routine, we find more peace. So one of the things that I've worked on this past year is to keep my daily routine which means that when I get up in the morning, I spend a little time with a little meditation, a little bit of reading, and working on a project, a writing project. I do that every morning, accompanied by my two dogs and a cup of coffee. That's my morning routine. I pretty much, throughout the week, get up at the exact same time and have that same routine. And so between the time I get up and the time our walk ends, it's pretty much the same routine every single morning. Generally, at the end of the walk, I do a little exercise. That can vary a little bit, but it's still a block of time that's for exercise. That means that I've spent several hours in a standard routine for my day, which gives me an oasis of calm because I know what that part of the day is going to be like. So it doesn't matter so much what your routine is as long as you actually kind of maintain a routine. And I think part of the problem we've had this past year is many people have Uh, had a difficult time finding some routine. So one of the ways we can help that calm is to rebuild our routine. The second thing is to be aware of the fact that this is taxing our bodies. My wife is a therapist, and uh, she and her therapist friends have been talking about how this past week it just seems like so many old clients are suddenly reappearing, and so many people are coming in with these questions and and struggles and wanting to be seen because for whatever reason, we've hit an inflection point in the stress level. And I think one of the things that helps us avoid that inflection point is to do some self-care, 
to make sure that we're eating well, to make sure that we're nurturing our bodies to get the rest that we need, to you know do the things we know to do right off the bat. Uh, the, the areas that I tend to suggest people look at is how they're nourishing their body, and that's eating and drinking, how they're moving their body, that would be exercise of some sort, some movement through the day to help you know, work through the hormones that are cursing through your body. And those, the, what's coursing through your body primarily is adrenaline. So letting that process through. How you rest your body because sleep is so important for our restoration. And how uh, we deal with the stress in our life, including how we're breathing. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Those are all key elements of that self-care. And as part of self-care is looking for those pleasurable diversions. You know, what hobbies do you have? What interests do you have? What connections can you make with other people that bring you pleasure rather than have you focused on the news? I've talked with people who tell me that they cannot turn off and they'll name some cable station. And it doesn't matter which one you name because they're all peddling in the same thing of fear. Um, But they can't turn it off, which means that on a regular basis, they're putting it straight into their brain, all of the imagery, all the fear, all the other things that are being used to capture their eyeballs and their ears for one sole purpose, advertising. So they can think that they are you know, getting a handle on life. It's a, a place where we can feel like we're getting control, but what they're giving up in the meantime is the opportunity of finding something that actually is pleasurable, reading a good book listening to music that lifts you up, talking to somebody on the phone, having a visit with somebody if there's some way of doing that safely, taking a nice walk, putting together a puzzle, doing something of interest to you, some hobby or interest that would bring you that. So find your pleasurable diversion and make sure you make room for it in your life. Practicing calm for me is often about being intentional, about being mindful, about meditation, Things that we've talked about in other podcasts about just how to find the calm. Those are great pieces to add in. As part of practicing calm, there are three specific areas that you might want to focus on. I just talked about the breathing. When I was interviewing James Nestor, one of the reasons I wanted to have him on is because I've used breath work in my own life. And I know how important it is. And he wrote the book, Breath that goes in depth about kind of the mistakes we made in breathing and how to correct them. The fact is, our breathing is one of the automatic functions of the body that we can kind of take off automatic and put on to manual. We can bring it into our own control. And one way to do that is to make sure that we're taking deeper breaths and longer exhales. If you just think about those two things, of breathing deeply into your diaphragm and making your exhale longer than your inhale, like twice as long. So if you inhale to a count of two, three, four, or five, to exhale to four, six, eight, or 10, as you're counting in your head. So it's just a longer exhale because as we exhale, we're bringing in a calm effect into our system. We're calming that vagal nerve system, the polyvagal nerve system we can take over by our breathing. So breathing deeply and accentuating your exhale. And the other piece that he adds in, which is an easy, uh, the three easy parts that we can quickly change is breathing through our nose. And some people have a difficult time breathing through their nose. So trying to practice that more, being intentional about it more often, 
So those deeper breaths from your nose down into your diaphragm that slowly are released. That's some great ways of quickly taking over your breathing and practicing calm in that. The second one is moving in an intentional way. For instance, in the morning when I'm walking, part of what I'm trying to do is kind of clear my mind, not think about you know the things in my life, but to just kind of have this moving place of being aware and being kind of grounded to the world. In warmer days, I actually do that with bare feet to kind of have my feet on the ground and to be grounded to that. The third area that I would suggest that I've taken up recently is stretching. Just spending some each some time each day stretching out. Part of what we're doing is we're holding so much tension in our body and our muscles. And one counteracting point to that is to be intentional about stretching. It doesn't mean you have to go to yoga class, although yoga is great. I'm actually doing several stretching pieces. Some of them them come from uh, the martial arts, different ways of stretching from martial arts and different ways of moving to bring more flexibility into my body. That's one piece of it. But also the other is to counteract the stress that we're holding in our muscles to let that naturally release. Part of the other piece of this, I believe, is about stimulus limitation. Stimulus limitations mean that we're limiting the stimulation that we're getting from out there. One of the things that you can do easily is to decide that there is a a certain space for the news that you're going to contain it to. It's basically a news container. Maybe you choose a half hour a day or 20 minutes a day and usually not more than 45 minutes a day to really take in the news. That doesn't mean that you turn on the TV but that maybe you find a good source to read from, that you can look through the headlines pretty quickly and just gather it in. There is a difference between reading news and A, hearing it, or B, seeing video of it that changes how your brain processes it because our higher function in our brain is the part that does language. The more primitive part is looking for image and sound. And so if you're having to read, you're using the higher part of your brain to process that, which helps us to delineate between it happening to us right now and it happening somewhere, somehow. So we can change how we take that in. So just create a space, a limited space for the news that you're going to digest and make sure you're getting it from a good source. The second way is to limit your social media. One of the things I've done uh, for uh, a while now is to not go through, for instance, my Facebook feed. I go in and I check to make sure that there are no announcements given to me, notifications that I need to attend to, since I do have some Facebook professional uh, connections that I need to maintain. And so I go in and, and I look and I go directly to those places. What I don't do is I don't scroll. I've never scrolled with Twitter, but many people find that limiting their Twitter scrolling is helpful for their mental health to not get pulled into uh, battles that aren't going to be won anywhere. So when we limit our social media, we can certainly help to keep that exposure from happening to us. And as we know, the social media companies have gotten very good at capturing our attention for their own benefit. And the last thing is to make sure that we really do seek to limit the visual stimulation that we're getting. Pictures and videos do more to excite our primitive part of our brain than anything else can. There's a direct link between your eyeballs and that part of the brain. 
So be mindful of that as you're taking it in and be especially mindful of that in the time leading up to bedtime. It's always kind of been interesting to me that we have an 11 o'clock news report and now 10 o'clock and some places you can watch it even earlier than that, where the last images we're watching before we go to bed are the most disturbing we're going to see all day. And all it's doing is taking that part of the brain that's looking for threats and telling it there's a threat and then expecting somehow we're going to turn over and go to sleep and get some rest. That usually doesn't work. So use some ways that you can choose to move back into ease. You get the choice of how you're going to expose your system to that. Know that your system is there. It's trying to protect you, but it can go into overdrive and cause more problems than it helps. Spend some time finding your ease. Recognize the triggers. Work to keep those away as you practice self-care and practice finding your calm in the midst of chaos. If this has been helpful, I hope you'll share it. I hope you can give me a rating on wherever you listen to your apps. That helps people to discover us. And you can always forward it on to other people. There's usually a share link somewhere. That's a great way of helping people. You can share it as I would avoid, but you can share it for me on social media. That would be great. The other thing is I do have books on thriving. If you're interested in reading some more about how to build thriving into your life, even in the midst of these challenging times, check out my books. You can find them at thriveology.com slash books, thriveology spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y.com, thriveology.com slash books. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. listening to the Thriveology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.